chapter 4 this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the fourth chapter of Mark. Verses 21 through 25 is where we're going to be covering this four verses this morning. Mark chapter 4. Last week we um, were engaged in the previous verses. Jesus began to teach in parables in uh, Mark chapter 4. And he gave us the parable of the sower. And we went through that last week and saw how he used a common illustration in agriculture to teach a deeper, more spiritual meaning. And we also saw that um, he did so um, by uh, also quoting um, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, as a uh, demonstration that he began to use parables as a means to to, uh, only... Uh, give truths to those who were who were following Jesus, were in the kingdom, and as opposed to those who were outside the kingdom. In verse 11 of chapter 4, uh, Jesus answered them as to why the, the, the disciples asked him why he was be teaching them parables. And he answered them the secret, or the mystery, your translation might say, the mystery that had been concealed, had not been yet revealed by God. The mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you. Jesus appears on the scene, begins his ministry, begins to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, the good news, as we've seen in Mark. And he says, now the mystery, God's, uh, what God has, hid been, has hidden, has been revealed to, through Jesus and through the New Testament. The secret or the mystery of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables. And he quotes Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. And in Isaiah, as we talked about last week, Chapter 6 was a uh, passage on judgment. God told Isaiah to go and preach, but it was a message of judgment that even though they, they said they could see, they could not see, and even though they, they could, said they could listen, they could not understand. And he began to teach in parables as a sense of judgment for those who um, committed the unpardonable sin that is talked about in Mark chapter 3, who blasphemed the Holy Spirit by by claiming that Jesus' works was for the power of Satan and not through the power of God. And so it was a form of judgment upon those who were outside the kingdom. And that's where we are left off, and he gives us a parable of the, the, of the sower. He shows us that the, the word is the word of the kingdom and it's to be scattered. So our responsibility in the New Testament context for all of us, as for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, is to s- spread the word of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus has come to seek and to save. But the parable of the sower demonstrates to us that we're just responsible to sow the seed, that we, we, can't, we can't change hearts. We, we don't know where the seed will fall. And it's ultimately on the heart or the person that has a heart that's receptive to what God has for them in the gospel that will produce fruit and multiply. And um, it's just, to me, encouraging to know, right? I'm not responsible to try to convince somebody or to change their heart into receiving. What what God has called us to is to, to share the word, to share the good news to everyone every nation kindred and tongue to participate in that and let God right as we just talked about last week God is the one who provides the increase and then he goes on in verses 21 through 25 and he says the following thus says the word of the Lord 
He also said to them, Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that it will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Verse 24, And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has more will be given to him. For whoever has, more will be given to him, I should say. And, to, and whoever does not have, even what he will even what he has will be taken away from him. So Jesus, again, begins this teaching. This is the first time that Mark actually stops, right? He, uh, Mark has given us just this, this fast uh, picture of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's, he's rarely stopped to give us any teaching, and, and, but he stops here and gives us the parable of the sower, and then he gives us this passage of Scripture that we're going to be talking about today. And so I just have, uh, I think, three points for us this morning that I just want to go over that's, that I see that's in this passage of Scripture that God has given to us in his preserved word. And, and ultimately, I think what Jesus is seeing and teaching his disciples and ultimately this Holy Spirit is teaching to us as we read the passage of Scripture is uh, to, to be reminded of the blessing of light that shines in the midst of darkness. I think all of us can, can um, look around and be quickly overcome with sadness of the amount of the darkness and the evil that's going on in this world. It just seems to be increasing all the more, getting darker and darker. But yet we have the, the light of the gospel given to us as our hope. Uh, a couple years ago now, probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do as a pastor. I got a call from a good friend of mine from high school um, who told me, a, a mutual friend, we, uh, I have a, like five or six friends that we grew up since kindergarten. We've known each other and we still are friends today. We still try to see each other on a yearly basis. And one of my friends called me up and said, Summer, one of our mutual friends, her, her 18-year-old son, passed in a car accident just a couple weeks before graduation. And it was devastating. And um, I got a call a few minutes later from that same friend and asked, she said, uh, Summer, your f our mutual friend asked to see if you could do the funeral in California. And to be honest, I wanted to say no. That was just too much, too much of a task. But I said yes, and I began to pray, began to try to figure out what, what I would say in that instance. I knew I'd be going to a place where it would be, sorry, I'll be going to a place where there would be several hundred high school students at this funeral. The accident was on the news, it was well known in, the, in a pretty large town. And so I was just overcome with this, first of all, sense of sadness for my friend. I can't imagine what, what that must feel like. But second, what, what do I say in the context? What do, what do I say? How do I provide them hope and comfort in the midst of such tragic circumstances? 
in darkness. And I was there, and I began to watch the news reports of this accident. And they had, uh, I was watching as the news reporters covered this candlelight vigil that all the students had at the point of the place of the accident. Uh, in the evening time, uh, when the sun went down, there was all these students standing out at the place where the accident occurred, and they, they all lit candles. And I, and I began to think how it's just unique that in the midst of darkness, humans have an innate desire for light to enter into the darkness, to shine forth in a time of darkness that light would shine. And so that is what I used as I went to that funeral and I, and I stood before them with my, with my knees shaking and I, and I proclaimed to them the hope and the good news of the light of the world. The light of Jesus Christ has come into the world and, it, and through him and in him, God's light shines forth. And this is what the Lord is teaching us here. The mystery of the kingdom of God has been revealed in Jesus Christ. We have the light of God. We have this message of hope in Jesus Christ. And he says to us, as a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, this light that is given to us in Christ, are, are we then to take it, receive it, and then keep it to ourselves? Or to hide it? To take it in and hide it under our bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? To shine forth in the darkness? These are rhetorical questions, but they're questions that are, we answer ourselves. And so even in the midst of this Jesus proclaiming judgment upon these people who have re rejected him and rejected his teaching in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 9 through 10, when he quotes that, even in the midst of that, when you go to Isaiah and you see this, this, this prophet sent by God in a sense of judgment to his people because of their stiff-necked being stiff-necked and turning from God and, and all those things and God proclaiming judgment upon them, even in that letter, even in Isaiah's prophecies, we still see the hope that is found in the midst of darkness and judgment. And that's the hope of God's promise of deliverance through the Messiah. So in Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, there's, there's a message of judgment, but even just a few chapters later, God begins to remind his people of his promise to deliver out of the midst of judgment. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7, but in the future he will bring honor to the way of the sea and the land of the east of Jordan and to the Galilee and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I don't know when, I pray that all of you on, in the sound of my voice have encountered Jesus in a saving way. But to me, my life before Jesus and the life after Jesus are just drastically different. 20 some years of walking in darkness, trying to find meaning and joy outside of what the Lord has, to be given the light of the gospel our friends and our neighbors, our family, our co-workers need to hear and see the light of the good news of Jesus. 
The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. See, even in the midst of judgment, there's hope. God brings hope. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke. This is a prophetic prophecy of what is to come, that, that God is, will be, send a deliverer. And the oppressiveness that they're living under, the yoke of slavery, all those things will be shattered. The staff of the oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. And what is this hope? Isaiah writes, 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now and forever. Amen? The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Isaiah prophesies of this time coming son will be born and his kingdom will rule and reign in all vastness and almighty the throne of David, the, the, the promise given to King David that from his throne... God would reign forever would be accomplished through this Messiah figure that we now know is Jesus the Christ. This kingdom prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus. And that's why Jesus shows up on the scene and says, the mystery of the kingdom has been revealed to you. Fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. And we have the blessing of knowing that and seeing that and having it being preserved for us in God's word. That we too can participate in the kingdom and understand what God is doing and have the hope that comes with knowing and embracing the gospel and following Jesus and believing and trusting in him alone. John, the, the apostle John, writes and declares to us that the light of God, the, the, the promise of God's light shining in the darkness has come in Jesus, he begins his, his, his gospel by declaring this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. This is Jesus. This is the unique deity of Christ being, being demonstrated to us. God, Jesus is the second person of our triune God. He has always existed. He came into his creation to, to save us and John declares his deity. He was with God and was God. The second person, unique from the Father and the Spirit, but yet always existing in God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were created through him, and apart from him not one thing was created that has been created. And look at verse 4. In him, in Jesus coming into his creation, in him was life. And that life was what? the light of men. Christ has shined forth the hope, the good news, the love that God has demonstrated 
is demonstrated in Christ and what he's done for us. Verse 5, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. We see in the Gospels that Jesus' earthly ministry, again and again he was attacked and and pursued and and, uh, desired to be put down. Yet, the darkness did not overcome the light that he had brought. And in fact, the very means in which they tried to terminate him and get him off the pitcher by killing him was God's plan from the foundation of the world as a means in which we can all, some 2,000 years later, hear this gospel message and have the hope of knowing that we can have this eternal life where there is coming a day where, where God will be the very light that we exist in, in the new heaven and the new earths that there'll be no more need for a son because God himself will be our light, the scriptures in Revelation declare. This is what God has done for us. In the gospel, Jesus later on in John declares to the crowds around him, I am the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I hope that's encouraging you to this morning. Jesus is the light of the world. And anyone, anyone who follows him will never walk in the darkness of this world, but will have the light of life. He goes on in verse 12, verse 46, or chapter 12, verse 46. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness must ask this morning are you walking in darkness are you walking in hopelessness will you come to Jesus will you believe and trust in him alone he is the light of the world anyone who believes in him and trusts in him alone will not remain in the darkness that is his promise That is what I testify to you this morning. The second point, as we get back into Mark Mark chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, is the blessing of of being given God's complete revelation. I was just reminded of that this week as Jesus teaches these teachings here in these verses. Right? The mystery of the kingdom has been revealed in Christ. We have God's complete story. Right? We, we know the end of the story, brothers and sisters. Jesus wins. The darkness and the hopelessness that we're encountering right now will not have its last say. God will have his last say. Jesus wins. His kingdom will reign. Nothing, he says in verse 22, there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. How great it is to have God's complete revelation. To not have to wonder. To not have to doubt what God is doing. Or why things are the way they are. It's all been revealed to us. And Jesus tells them there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. Everything will be brought to the light of God. Nothing will be hidden. And we walk in that. In the New Testament context, 
we have God's completed revelation. And he goes on to say, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. It's not about just knowing about it. It's about listening and hearing and actively pursuing these things, applying the teachings and trying to walk in the identity given to us in Christ. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. Matthew records the same time of teaching, the parable of the sower and, and the things that we're going through here in Mark. And he says, he records Jesus as saying, blessed are your eyes because they do not see in your ears because they do hear. Are you hearing this morning? How blessed are you to be hearing the good word, the good news of what Jesus has done and you're receiving that? How many people in this world have never heard the name of Jesus, much less have heard it and rejected it. How grateful we should be that we are blessed because we have eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray that's you this morning. He goes on in verse 17 in Matthew 13. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see the things you see, but didn't see them to hear the things you hear but didn't hear them. Matthew records Jesus saying, the prophets of the Old Testament long to see and to know what I'm revealing to you right now. They long to see it, but they couldn't. They didn't see that. And they're to hear the things that, God, that Jesus has spoken and taught us in the New Testament. But we stand here today with the blessing of having God's full and complete revelation. What a blessing. The third point, the blessing of reaping what we sow. This is where it begins to become practical for us. Right? James tells us that we are to be not only hearers of the word, but doers also. We are to take this knowledge given to us in, in God's word and to walk it out to be a light on the lampstand and not to be the one that's taking the light and hiding it underneath our bed. And I say this third point is a, an idea that's found in Scripture of the blessing of reaping what we sow. We, see, we saw last week the parable of the sower. We know that right, a seed cannot grow unless it's sowed, unless it's planted, unless it's scattered. And then that's when, that's right, when, the, when it lands on fertile ground, that's when the, the, produ- the fruit will be produced. And this concept is found in, in the New Testament of uh, sowing spiritually, using our lives for, for the glory of God, to walking, for presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. And so the question we need to all ask ourselves, what are we sowing to in our lives? The things of this world or the things of the kingdom? The blessing of reaping what we sow. And it's a, it's a daily choice. And if you're like me, it's a, it's a it's a a day where I wake up desiring to walk in the kingdom and I found myself at ten o'clock in the morning living for self and having to start that repentance process. Lord, take my life. Forgive me. I, I desire to live for you. I desire to sow for you and for the kingdom and not for my own benefit or desires, but for your glory. The blessing of reaping what we sow is found in Verse, his teachings in verses 24 and 25 of Mark 4. And he said to them, Pay attention 
to what you hear. And here it is. By the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. So the teaching of the kingdom, those who have ears to listen, we are to listen but to apply it. And he's saying if, if you do so, you're, you're sowing to, to God's kingdom, you're sowing to me, the Spirit will, will then produce that, that fruit that is talked about at the end of the parable. The, the produce of the fruit is 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. But it's only to those who hear it and use it. Not only just hear it, but use it. It will be measured to you and, and more will be added to you. Whoever has, whoever has, more will be given to him. That's the principle of reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Again, this bigger picture of taking the light of the mystery of the kingdom of God and hiding it, taking it for ourselves, but not, not putting it on display and living for God and his purposes. The principle of reaping and sowing is a blessing for us because you and I can decide wherever we're at in our walk with Jesus, we can decide, we, des- we desire through the power of the Spirit to walk more and more in His power to be able to live for Him and to sow towards the kingdom of God. Just a few more practical applications as we close up. Uh, the f- second one is practical application of, the sh- of shining the light of Jesus. Right. I always want to be sure to not just give you a historical lesson of what, what Mark is trying to convey to us, but how can we take these things practically? And so we say that uh, Jesus te- teaches us that we are to take the light and not hide it, but put it on the lampstand so that it may shine forth in the darkness. All of us know the darkness that is prevailing in this world. We are the ones, as Christ followers, if you're in Christ this morning, you have the light that this world needs, the light of Jesus. And John, in his first letter, his epistle, 1 John chapter 2, he tells us this. Yet I'm writing you a new command. And this is reminiscent of Jesus' teaching in John chapter 13 when he, the Savior of the world, the, the God of very gods who took upon flesh, Right, who, who deserved everyone to worship him, instead took a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet in the upper room as a demonstration of what it means to love and a means of, of love that is not expectant of a return, but is a demonstration of just of, of, um, unmerited love. And Jesus said to them in the upper room in John 13, I give you a new commandment. Love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And as we do this, this is what he says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. How do we shine forth the light of Jesus? How do we put it on the lampstand? By loving others. By loving one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And John's uh, hearkening back to this, I believe, which is true, as yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is the light 
that hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. So John's warning us of being a hypocrite. How do we apply this to our life, right? If we say, yes, I love Jesus, I love, I love, I love others, but, but our actions are demonstrating hatred towards others. That's a hypocrite. The one who says he is the light but hates his brother or sister is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother or sister remains in the light. So practically speaking, what we do with our actions towards others is a means in which we demonstrate the light of Jesus to those around us. And there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 11, but the one who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If your fruit does not equate with what you believe and know about Jesus, repent. Turn and trust in Christ. The scriptures in the New Testament challenge all of us, everyone, to, to examine whether or not we are in the faith or not. What is the fruit? If, according to the parable of the sower, the fruit should be, should be apparent in our lives. Let's ask the Lord to help us demonstrate this fruit, that we would be the light that he's called us on how we treat others, how we serve others. It's Christ has demonstrated in going to the cross for us, laying down his life for us. We are to lay down our life for him and his glory in the service and love towards others. Another practical application, a reminder, our deeds will ultimately come to light. Right? The passage that we were, were covering, uh, Jesus is saying, look, everything, all the mystery, all that God has revealed has been revealed in, in the New Testament context in Christ Jesus. Everything that was hidden has now come to light. A, a beautiful thing, but, but practically speaking, we, we know, and it kind of builds off of what we just talked about, that, um, <clears throat> all, that everything that we do will also come to light. There's often the, uh, that the old heart within me and wants to keep things secret and, and hidden in the darkness. That this, this area is mine. I'm not allowing the light of, of Jesus to shine forth in that. And I, I act, sometimes act as if I'm, I'm like pulling down the shade on God, like he can't see what I'm doing in my actions. And this is a reminder for us that, no, you're not getting away with anything. All of our deeds will ultimately come to light. Meanwhile, in uh, Luke chapter 12, he speaks of uh, Jesus' teaching here. Uh, a crowd of many thousands came together so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say, this is Jesus to his disciples first, be on guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he's saying the Pharisees are saying one thing with their mouth, but their actions are demonstrated in another. There is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in the near and private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. Just a reminder for us that, look, we, everything is going to come to light, into the light of, of God. 
And this goes back to the principle of reaping what we sow. Are we sowing for the things of the kingdom or are we sowing for our own desires? I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do no more. The fear of men, the fear of people, more than fearing God, is what Jesus is teaching. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. What a sobering and humbling reminder for us of the, what's eternally the consequences of what are we talking about today. How desperately we in this world needs the light of Jesus. Jesus took the penalty for us. He took the wrath of God for us, for all who will believe. This is the hope, this is the light that this world desperately needs. Peter writes, live as people who are free. If you're in Christ, you are you're no longer under the condemnation of the law. But that doesn't mean we use the grace of God as a cloak to do unrighteous things. Peter, uh, Paul in chapter Roman, Romans chapter 6 says this. Right? Are we to go on sinning that grace may abound? And his response, absolutely not. You're missing the point of what God has done. You're abusing what God, the grace that God has given. And Peter says here, live as people who are free. Yes, live in the, the understanding that Christ has paid your penalty. But he goes on to say, not using your freedom as a, as a means to cover up for evil. To do so it is not demonstrating the light and the goodness of God. We are to not do that, use our freedom as a cover up for evil, but what are we to do? living as servants of God. We will reap what we sow. All of us have a choice and a decision to make on a daily basis, an hour-by-hour hour basis. What are we living for? May the light of God shine forth in our lives personally, individually, and collectively as a church. May this be the beacon of light that our community in this world desperately needs. Only God can do this. It, is, 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 it only happens as all of you agree and come in to cooperation with what he desires for us and in, in, in what he's us, is teaching us in his word and yield to the power of the Spirit to be able to, to live it out in our lives for his glory. Peter goes on to say, Honor everyone. When you go out tomorrow, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood, specifically those within the church. Fear God. Walk in the understanding of, you, of the accountability that you have before God and not men. Honor the emperor. Be good citizens. These are the means in which we can glorify God and be the light shining on a hill that our world and our community desperately needs. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be reminded, God, of what you've done for us in Christ. 
the hope that you've given to us in Christ Jesus, that he has come, he has made a way for us to, to be saved from what we truly deserve. That we no longer have to walk in, for those of us who have received and believed and, and walked and followed after the light of, of Jesus, the light of the world, Lord, that we no longer have to, to walk in, in fear or condemnation of, of what we truly deserve because Christ has paid that penalty. What a blessing. God, maybe, may you help us increase our thankfulness for what you've done for us. And may, may it be a, a, a means in which you, you motivated us through the power of your spirit to, to walk forth in newness of life. That we would walk as your children and be the light that you desire us to be. That others may see the light and come to the understanding and knowledge of how they too can be children of God as they receive the gospel and believe on Jesus and abandon hope in all else. May this be a reality for your glory's sake. Help us, God, to be what you called us to be. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.